Do what you like, are good and profitable at, and control. I miss that sexy smile. The Paul Truesdell Podcast is produced in Ocala, Florida, one of the nation's fastest-growing retirement meccas, and America's premier horse capital, at the Truesdell Professional Building, also known as the Truesdell Alamo. The Paul Truesdell podcast is for informational purposes only. Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, assume that we have a position in all companies discussed or mentioned. Well, it is Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. Iowa is over with, and Donald Trump got 51% of the vote. Not an overwhelming mandate, but it is a win. And what I want to do in this episode is discuss who I think he will be selecting as his vice presidential running mate. I think you'll be surprised. One of the things we have been doing is a lot of research, a lot of analysis, and this is a forecast. So sit down, get ready, because I think you're going to be surprised. Let's get started. So let's take a look at who some of the early presidents of the United States were. It's going to give you an indication as to where I'm going. We began with George Washington, and his vice president was John Adams. John Adams was the second president of the United States, and his vice president was Thomas Jefferson. Remember, the system worked a little bit different back then because the runner-up became vice president. You didn't select your vice president back in the day. Thomas Jefferson became president, and then you had Aaron Burr as vice president. Then what happened is Thomas Jefferson won re-election. His vice president was then George Clinton. Now, James Madison became president. Again, George Clinton was vice president. Now, Madison was there for, it was interesting, because he started off with George Clinton, and then Clinton, for some reason, he's gone. And I guess I should really say he served until he died. So he died in office. And you know what's interesting about him is he's one of two vice presidents to hold the office under two consecutive presidents. And so the vice president then became Elbridge Jerry, who died in office. Then we have James Monroe. His vice president was a fellow by the name of Daniel Tompkins. And after him, we had an interesting guy by the name of John Quincy Adams. And his vice president was John C. Calhoun, who remained as vice president with Andrew Jackson. And then with Andrew Jackson, we eventually had Martin Van Buren, and Martin Van Buren wound up selecting a fellow named Richard M. Johnson. Okay, so that's good enough for right now. What is important to know is that we've had several vice presidents who have died in office, and we've had a few presidents who have died in office. So we have Trump as the de facto nominee for the Republican Party. 
and everybody seems to have dropped out. And I've always wondered why, because a lot of things can happen between now and the election. Very important concept here. Everybody talks about the age of Biden. I'm sure more and more people are going to begin talking about the age of Donald Trump. Not being mean, we're being factual. Not picking sides, not taking winners or losers, we're being factual. So this entire discussion, while the window is open and the wind is blowing and the rain is coming down like cats and dogs, if you hear the distraction in the background, just go with it. Who will Donald Trump pick as vice president? Well, let's continue. Richard Nixon and John Kennedy were actually friends. A lot of people don't realize that Joe McCarthy and Kennedy were very good friends. Politics makes for strange bedfellows. And one of the items that surprised a lot of people when President Kennedy was elected is that he nominated his brother, Robert F. Kennedy, to be the Attorney General of the United States. Now, I want to think about this for a minute. The most powerful position in Washington is the President of the United States. It is fair to say that the second most powerful position is the Attorney General. Who are you going to prosecute? Who are you going to try to put in jail? And so Vice President, that's an important position, takes over if the President dies. But it is the Attorney General who has an awful lot of power that people don't think about. And so President Kennedy selected who? His brother. So it's going to be September 3rd, 1964, and President Lyndon Johnson from the great state of Texas, my hometown, my home state, is president of the United States because President Kennedy is assassinated in Dallas. And so on September 3rd, 1964, Johnson writes a letter to Robert Kennedy and it begins, Dear Bob, it is with regret that I have received your resignation. You have played a very vital role in the conduct of public affairs. And as a result, Kennedy is going to leave as Attorney General. Now, I think it's important right now to state that on March 31st, President Johnson announced that he would not seek re-election as President of the United States, and it caught everybody off guard. He was completely and totally dead serious. And he said he would not serve if elected, would not run if nominated. He's done. So as I said, that was March 31st. What probably prompted that was that on March 16th, the brother of slain, assassinated President Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, announced, quote, I am today announcing my candidacy for presidency of the United States. So more than likely, that tended to cause Johnson a little bit of a pause. But the problem is simply this. Johnson drops out. Kennedy is now 42. He's in Los Angeles on June the 5th, 1968. He has won the California primary. You see, everything was a little bit different back then. A lot different than it is today. You did not have people entering and dropping out before there were votes. And then he was shot. He was assassinated within five years of the death of his brother, 
the president. A lot of people get upset over the Electoral College. And every time I hear someone talk about the Electoral College, it makes me take a big, deep sigh and moan because there's a reason for it. And I'll give you an example. Now, in 1968, the eventual nominee for the Democratic nomination would be Hubert Humphrey. The Democrats had their convention in Chicago. This is the time when old people like John Daly ordered the police department to go out there and put down the unrest. And it is what it is. We had a uh, fellow by the name of George Wallace who ran as an independent. When people say independents can't run and do anything, well, George Wallace ran with Curtis LeMay, who died in 1990. He was an Air Force general, and he was involved in uh, some of the bombing campaigns in World War II in a Pacific theater. He served as chief of staff of the United States Air Force from 61 to 65. And George Wallace was 45th governor of the state of Alabama. He served for four terms and he was a staunch segregationist and a populist back in his day. A Republican nominee was a fellow named Richard Nixon and his vice president was Spiro Agnew. Spiro Agnew served until 1973 when he resigned. He's the first person to Actually, he's the second of two vice presidents who actually have resigned the position. The first was John C. Calhoun back in 1832. So he was charged with criminal conspiracy, bribery, extortion, tax fraud, accepting kickbacks. He pled no contest to a single felony charge of tax evasion, and he was replaced by Gerald Ford would later go on to become president when Richard Nixon resigned. Okay, so that's the backdrop. Key thing here is Nixon received 43.4% of the vote. He won 32 states. Muskie won 13 states plus the District of Columbia. He got 42.7% of the vote. And George Wallace won five states, got 13.5% of the vote. And the Electoral College was 301 for Nixon, 191 for Muskie, and 46 for Wallace. Now, here's the thing. If you do not get enough votes in the Electoral College, who your electors are very important. And if something should happen to the presumptive nominee or winner of the presidential election, it's going to be up to the Electoral College to ensure that Somebody serves. It's also technically and legally and long lost on history that electors are supposed to vet and make sure that the person coming into office is qualified and competent. Okay, let's keep that in mind. So we had Richard Nixon. He became president of the United States. Lyndon Johnson did not think he could win. And the presumptive nominee would have been Robert Kennedy. And had Robert Kennedy lived, there's very little doubt he would have beaten Richard Nixon. We feel very strongly here that that's the case. Nixon resigns in 74, and Gerald Ford becomes an unelected president. Then we have Jimmy Carter, who had Walter Mondale. And we had Ronald Reagan as president of the United States. Then we had George Bush, Bill Clinton, who had Hillary Clinton as 
his spouse, and many view as more of a vice president than Al Gore. We have George W. Bush. He had Richard Cheney, or Dick Cheney. Obama had Joe Biden. Trump comes into office, and he's got Mike Pence, and now Biden's in office with Kamala Harris. So the question today was, or the teaser for you, is who do we think the vice presidential nominee will be for Donald Trump? So the person we think is going to be the vice presidential nominee for Donald Trump and could, if he wins the race, become the vice president of the United States, is an American businessman. This person has some pretty substantial television presence. He's considered a political activist and author. And he has a fairly decent-sized family, more than just two, meaning he has more brothers and sisters than most people have. He's been married. He has children. And he has an undergraduate degree in economics. Now, this fellow has traveled all around the country. He's extremely well-known. Everybody knows this person. And he's a little bit savvy when it comes to the Internet because, well, he has a podcast, believe it or not. He stood before audiences and given speeches. And he has been a contributor to the Democratic Party. Aha! This is a Republican who has, well, he gave money to Senator Hillary Clinton, who was seeking the presidential position. And that should make you wonder, who exactly would this guy be? Well, one of the things I think I want to do right now is I want to go back to October 30th, 1735. And between then and July the 4th, 1826, there lived a man by the name of John Adams. And John Adams died on the same day as a fellow by the name of Thomas Jefferson. And John Adams was the second president of the United States. He served from March the 4th, 1797 to March the 4th, 1801. And the fellow before him was, again, George Washington. Now, Adams was born on a family farm in Braintree, Massachusetts. Cute little place, still there. And he wound up having a couple of children, practiced law, got married. At 16, he entered Harvard College, and he had a total of six children. One of those is a fellow by the name of John Quincy Adams. Now, John Quincy Adams, son of John Adams, served as sixth president of the United States, March the 4th, 1825 to March the 4th, 1829. Okay, so we have the first father and son presidents of the United States. We also had that happen with who else? Well, we had that happen with George Bush and his son. We had the president of the United States, Kennedy, nominate his brother, who served as the Attorney General of the United States. We have a president by the name of Bill Clinton who served for two terms. Then his wife decides she wants to run, and, well, everybody thought she was going to get it lock, stock, and barrel. In fact, everybody thought she would be the nominee rather than Barack Obama. He sets out for four years, eight years, rather, comes around and is defeated by Donald Trump. 
A woman and her husband, Bill and Hillary Clinton, who attended the marriage ceremony, the reception, for Donald Trump and his wife, Melania. You know where I'm going with this? Who do we think? Or should I simply say I think? Because today, during our staff meeting, our investment advisory committee, we sat down, we were talking about the election, and I said, I had an idea. As you know, I've been noodling this idea for quite some time. And the idea is, and we've talked about this, who would ever serve in a cabinet with Donald Trump? But that's not the question. Yes, he may have a hard time getting people to serve in the cabinet, but somebody will always step up. Somebody will step up and they have to realize that as soon as they are nominated, someone will be suing them for something. Once they accept a position, they'll be sued for something. And once they get in office, the Democratic Party will attempt to impeach them. And it's politics. It's become gross in the country. Democrats do it. Republicans do it. It's just getting pretty ugly. But it's always been ugly. And so I'm going to take a quick sidestep. I want to go back to 1800 because the first real dirty election, an ugly election, was between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. That's right. Oh, people talk about what's going on today, the name-calling and how it's just dividing the country, how the Founding Fathers would never have wanted this. But the obvious successors to President Washington was John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, okay? And both candidates suffered horrible, at the time, personal attacks from who? The newspapers. That's right, the newspapers. And there were questions that were raised about Jefferson, how many children he fathered with slaves, how he was really French. And to put Thomas Jefferson in, we would have the French leading the country. They said putting him in would be like installing Bonaparte, okay, Napoleon, that he would turn the country into a dictatorship like Napoleon. And they said he's an atheist. He's not a Christian. Oh, it was ugly. The question back then was, you can't trust the federal government. Adams was a federalist and part of the big government. Remember, federalism versus states' rights. Hey, everybody's going to have higher taxes. And the military is going to have to respond to put down civil unrest. That's right. And you see, one of the things that he did, Adams, is he purged the cabinet quickly of some interesting characters like Alexander Hamilton, who... If you really know the history of Hamilton, you would go, really? I mean, granted, it's a Tony Award-winning musical, but my gosh, if you sit down and know who this guy really is, his really strange behavior, and how he did some interesting tax, well, let's say somebody ran off a lot of money when Washington left office, and it wasn't Adams, so the race was ugly, real ugly. And if you go back and really dig into it, you, you'll say, wow, it's kind of surprising the country survived. But isn't it interesting we say that all the time? Look, you got people today saying the most important election in the history. Well, every election seems to be the most important history, election in history, right? It does. But this is kind of interesting to me. So who is going to be the vice presidential nominee of President Trump? If I'm a betting man, exactly who I think it is. Okay, so here it goes. I'm sure you've figured it out by now. It's Donald Trump Jr. That's right. 
Donald Trump Jr. And the way I see this playing out is if I was President Trump, and I get back in office knowing full well that somebody wants to tar feather you and string you up, uh, I want somebody to cover my back. And if I'm a little narcissistic and I want a, uh, well, be remembered forever, why not put another Donald Trump in office? And so you've got one. And put somebody in office who is younger, who can run around the country, give lots of speeches, and understands how to get in front of the camera. You will say, well, he has said some bombastic and crazy things. That doesn't make any difference anymore. People don't care about that. People want strong leadership. Country's divided. Father and son. Wow. Pretty cool, huh? And then you'll have President Biden. He'll be saddled with Hunter. So they'll draw that conclusion like crazy. They make it a race of Joe Biden and his son versus Donald Trump and his son. Hunter Biden's going to be dragged into this thing, whether he likes it or not. And so who's the vice president going to be? Well, I have an opinion on that. Let's just say Camilla Harris has not done the best job for herself. While she is the de facto running mate, and Biden has said that he's going to keep her. We should be paying attention to a few others out there. Will they have a caretaker or will they be looking for an heir? That's important. So with Pence, you had a caretaker. With Donald Trump Jr., you have an heir. So when it comes to investing, when it comes to stocks, bonds, cash, real estate, affairs internationally, domestically, manufacturing, trade agreements, you got to look at what people say, what people do, what the connections are, past, present, and future. But what I do know is this. 49% of the population in Iowa did not vote for what you would consider the incumbent president. I'm not taking anything away because that was a big win. And Super Tuesday is going to be a big deal. But it will be interesting to see what happens because a lot of money is pouring into the Biden campaign. Will Trump be willing to spend his own money? Where will the supporters come from? And what do you do if you think you have somebody who, if they get in office, will punish you. And what you'll notice is a lot of companies in the past that were very split, very split, when it comes to Republican and Democrat, or were very heavily Republican or heavily Democrat, they're starting to split their money evenly, saying, well, listen, I just rode the fence. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Of course, Soros and Bloomberg continue to be lock, stock, and barrel in the Republican correction in the Democratic camp. But who do you pick? So you take all these things and put them in a mix. With Donald Jr., if his father dies, the legacy continues. And if you get rid of one Trump, you got a second one. And Trump leaves office for whatever reason and still alive. His son can protect him, granting him immunity from prosecution, right? So it's going to be mighty darn interesting to see what happens. I'm just wondering... Is there a Trump who is an attorney who might be serving as attorney general? I know of one. Don't know what she thinks about it, but I like that TV show All in the Family. All in the Family. It's going to be one interesting sitcom no matter what happens. You have been listening to the Paul Truesdell Podcast. 
For additional items, serious to humorous. Wisdom to occasional outrage, of various degrees. Visit paultruesdell.com. That's paultruesdell.com. Grant Truesdell. Roger that, dust off in five. On the floor, now! <laughs>